Hello and welcome to Locked On Women's Basketball. I'm your host, Howard Magdal, reminding you you can follow us on Twitter at LockedOnWBB and, of course, follow our 24-7, 365 coverage of women's basketball at High Post Hoops. And I am privileged to be joined by a player I've admired from afar for a long time and excited to get the chance to chat with her today in person, and that's Natalie Chow. Natalie, who is a... uh, Star, I would say, for UCLA, uh, an up-and-coming six-foot-one guard-wing hybrid. Uh, thanks for being on the program. Wow, thank you so much for having me. I want to start with some basketball, and and there you made some significant news off the court as well. But I want to talk first uh, on the court, and so mm-hmm. I'm I'm a, a numbers nerd. That's the uh, <laughs> an unfortunate thing about me, and. So when I look at your game and your growth and development uh, through your first year at UCLA, there's a couple of things that jump out at me. One is you have always spoken about your desire to be a pro player. Well, Mm -hmm. your ability to score in the post-up as a six-foot-one guard forward, you know, a lot of twos and threes guarding you, uh, significantly above average in the 85th percentile per synergy on those moves. And I just, I wonder how often, how significant you think that part of being bigger than your defensive opponent is going to play a part in your ability to continue growing both at UCLA and at the next level. Yeah. Um, well, everything that I know, um, since I was young, I've learned from my mom. Um, she's trained me since I was a really young girl. And uh, ever since, um, she's just been working on my skills. And one of the things that we really realized that could be a strength of mine was posting up um, smaller guards because I just started to get my growth spurt like in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to be like the shortest one on my team uh, growing up. But as I started to grow, my mom was like, the game is turning into a more versatile style and the more um, versatile I can get the better. And Mm -hmm. um, so we would, whenever I come home and uh, work out with her, we would always focus on post moves because um, it has been such a big part of my game today. And and I mean, let's not understate it. Your mom played for the Chinese national team. So like a a supportive parent, but also just a a remarkably talented person and player in her own right. Now she, she was a center. What what was, what was her primary uh, position when she played? She was a guard. She's um, a little bit shorter than me, um, but yeah, she was a guard. So, so what, that's so interesting to me. She she played because she played guard and 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 you were on the shorter side for such a long time. What was it that led to post ups being a critical part of that emphasis for both of you guys? Yeah. Um, well, once I started growing, she was like, "Oh, we could really use this because it was just so unexpected that I was six one right. um, by the end of it." And so. I mean, she's really creative in the way she um, teaches me, and we just we're always looking to be a threat on the court. And post ups have really um, emphasized me as a threat. When was that growth spurt? When did it happen in high school? Um, and like, yeah, like sophomore, junior year, mm-hmm. I was pretty short still. 
my freshman year and then all of a sudden just out of nowhere which is great <laughs> right and and so i would imagine that the calls who you got them from and the amount of them change when you go from uh, a guard with guard skills to somebody someone six foot six one who's able to do all those same things right i mean was that was that an interesting adjustment for you oh yeah definitely uh well like i always kept my guard skills but um i mean i'm really grateful that I, my mom, like, focused on my ball handling, mm -hmm. my, um, like, yeah, like you said, guard skills. But once I started growing, um, just adding more to my toolbox was a really beneficial thing for me. So I'm here on the East Coast, and I am staying up late on Friday nights and such <laughs> to be able to watch UCLA. And, and I was happy and excited to do it all year. You guys were such an interesting team to play, uh, to, to watch, to observe. But... One of the things I think really stood out was your defensive intensity, you specifically. And so I went back and I looked at Synergy, and, and that just reinforced what I was seeing, which is that in isolation scenarios, you were one of the best, not just on the team, but in all of the Pac-12. Uh, in one-on-one -on -one oh. defensive scenario, you were yeah. as effective as virtually anyone else in the conference in you know, what was clearly the best conference in college basketball. And I'm wondering if you could take me through where you see your current defensive skills and how you go about making that such a significant part of your game on the other end of the floor. Yeah, well, thank you so much for always keeping up with us. Um, that means so much to the program and just and women's basketball in general. Um, but for defense, when I um, – I mean, defense was never really a strong suit for me until I got to UCLA. Um, Coach Corey made it really clear to me that I needed to be able to play defense and keep someone in front of me by myself uh, for me to be on the court, which totally makes sense. So um, during my redshirt season when I wasn't playing, I really focused on um, growing in that part of my game. Mm -hmm. um, I would say that – a big part of my defensive side uh, would be anticipation and using my length uh, because I know I probably won't be able to keep up with like quickness and stuff, but I can use my smarts and my anticipation to um, like get the steals that I want and get the deflections. Um, but Coach Corey was really helpful with me. I mean, she's coached me through everything um, that I need to know on the defensive end. So I'm really grateful for her for being patient with me and for always being willing to teach me. Well, it's clearly paying off. And, and I guess yeah. the, other, the other side of that is a lot of times you'll see, all right, there's a consolidation year in skills. So you, got, you have a redshirt year, you have this year where you're able to put it all together. When you think ahead to that final resume build that you have coming up next season, is it more consistency from three? Is it uh, finishing? You know, what what is it that you think of as the thing that's the next step in your evolution as a player? Yes. Um, well, I want to fine-tune everything that um, has been working for me, but something Coach Corey and I and also my mom um, really realized this past season is kind of my mental side of the game. Mm -hmm. um, the Pac-12 is really different because – well, from other conferences, because we do play Friday and then we have another game Sunday. So it's a really quick turnaround. Yeah. And just the mental side of um, the whole thing kind of was really different for me. And I realized I kind of struggled with it in the beginning. And I, it was just one of the things I struggled with throughout the season. So over the summer, it's um, 
Coach Corey told me it's not about the physical reps for me. It's more of the mental reps. So uh, definitely focusing on that. I, I mean, that makes sense. And, and of course, that extends beyond even the basketball court and into the reason that uh, you were in the news this week. And yeah. so I, just by, by way of introduction, uh, to, you know, to this aspect of it, Natalie, you, you, you felt it was necessary, important to speak out on the way people are talking about COVID-19 right now. And, and rather than me putting words in your mouth, I'd, I'd love to get your take on how and why that came about. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there were some really um, inaccurate words said uh, by our president um, a couple, like a, a week ago, and just the ramifications that occurred right after um, what he said, which is really evident to me. Um, so I had come home from UCLA to Dallas because um, everyone was just at home to quarantine and uh, I was just hanging out with some friends and then there were just some comments that really did not stick right with me and it really kind of hurt and offended me um, but during that time I didn't really say anything because I didn't know what to say I was kind of shocked um, but then after I was pretty I was pretty disappointed with myself that I didn't say anything and I just walked away so um, I decided to compose the tweet um, that I posted a couple days ago um, just saying that that's not okay. Um, and the example that the president um, has been showing is not okay. I mean, the, we see these moments, like I, I saw a photograph a few days ago of that he had crossed out a different name for the virus and writes Chinese virus on his prepared mm -hmm. remarks. You, you know, you, you hear and you, you see these things and it's, it's very hard to come to a conclusion other than that that is going on, you know, that it is intentional, what's mm -hmm. taking place. But it's got to be a, a, a very frightening thing to modulate how and how much to speak out. You, you know, you, you, there was something uh, in the L.A. Times piece that was written about this I thought was really interesting where you had said that prior to getting to UCLA, you don't know if you would have felt as comfortable, but also you were younger before you got to UCLA. I, I mean, there's there's a lot of things that go into that. And I'm wondering if you could take me through not just how you came to feeling comfortable speaking out about this at this time, but how what, what that evolution has been like for you, you know, in the duration of your life leading up to now. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, I'm... I was definitely going over like the pot, like the, um, the pros and the cons of posting mm -hmm. um, that and saying something about that um, because, I mean, in my eyes, my culture, my Asian Chinese culture, we aren't one to kind of say anything about it. We're not. We don't want to be like the problematic or confrontational culture that. Like, that's not how we're viewed. Mm -hmm. And we're seen as the model minority. Like, we're, like, self-reliant. We don't really talk about these kinds of stuff. We just go under the radar um, in this country. So I really felt the pressure of even my culture. Because, I mean, we saw that Jeremy Lin tweeted. And we also I also saw some um, other actors in the industry uh, tweeting yeah. um, about this kind of stuff. But no one else really 
And um, so I kind of felt um, a little pressured to not to because I felt like it wasn't really my, it wasn't my culture. It's not something my culture does. And then also like growing up, people have always told me to stay in my box. Like I'm a basketball player. I don't really, I'm not supposed to talk about anything else. It's not my business or my responsibility. And you see so many times when athletes do talk about stuff like this they get burned and they're usually shut down mm-hmm. um but um and i also knew that that was a, a factor as well um can't help but notice but, it's minority athletes that seem to be told that over and over and <laughs> over again yeah um yeah. definitely i definitely heard that a couple of times um when you were but, younger you mean or you mean since you did this um <clears throat> both actually because People just don't think I have the like the knowledge to talk about this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, but but like I realized that I do have a different platform and I have a special platform that basketball has given me that not a lot of other Asian Americans have. And I know that there are a lot of little girls looking up to me and they follow me um, and they want to see what I do. So I just wanted to say something for them as well as for me and my community um, to show that what acting, even though you're kind of worried about what people will think and just being strong, even though you're kind of scared, uh, what that looks like. And so um, I knew with the platform that I had that it was my duty to actually say something and stand up for myself and my people. I, I mean, America can and should, and certainly in this corner of the world, is grateful for that. And and I just, it, it strikes me in such a significant way. I, I've had the privilege of covering Jeremy Lin uh, for many mm-hmm. years uh, in the NBA. And this was something he struggled with in similar terms to what you're describing. And he came to it significantly later in his life than you have as well. Uh, but you're, you're facing not only those questions uh, of, of race and ethnicity, but questions of gender as well. And mm-hmm. so it does seem like there is an added pressure to get this right for yourself right now, not just for mm-hmm. the sport, but in a way that you'll feel happy, comfortable, at least at peace with all of it. And I, I'm wondering what that's been like emotionally for you since you went public, uh, both in terms of the response you've gotten uh, on social media, but also from the friends who um, maybe had first made those comments that made you so uncomfortable when you got home. Yeah. Um, well, the regarding like the friends, they've realized what um, they did wrong and their mistakes, and um, I forgive them because I know their hearts. But um, it's just I wanted them to understand that that's not okay, mm-hmm. especially in this climate that um, our country and our whole world is in right now. Um, am and, I? And, and I don't. I am I wrong about this, or is it the case that so much of the time it it's not malevolence as much as it's just a lack of understanding in some corners. It, it sort of reinforces the need uh, to listen to listen to those people. Uh, with a different background, those people without the privilege to be able to go on and say, oh, it's fine, which is what you hear Absolutely. so often. Absolutely. I mean, um, there are people out there that have experienced discrimination and they don't know how it feels and mm-hmm. they don't 
know um, how I'm feeling. So I, I, they just don't know. And so what big part of why I tweeted was um, for people to understand how it feels and where I'm coming from. What did, what did your mom have to say about all of this? Oh, my mom has been so, she's just been telling how she's so proud of me um, and how for me sticking up for her and also her family and um, her community. Um, and she's just been really proud of me. Wow. That's not, yeah. a, not a surprise to hear. So well, what's your takeaway from all of this? What uh, do you, do you feel like the next time you're in that public moment, uh, I mean, I mean, among friends, I don't mean, you know, socially, do you feel mm -hmm. like you'll have a different response to it? Do you feel like you've learned uh, the ways in which other people who need to hear this will be more responsive? I'm just wondering what this, what, in what ways all of this has perhaps changed your way of thinking? Yeah, um, well, like we, like I said earlier, I was really worried and I was kind of scared to post the tweet to stand up for myself. But after this whole experience, um, if this ever happens again, I will be fearless and I will not second guess myself um, to stand up for myself um, and for my people anymore. Um, and also, I mean, discrimination in America has happened. It's, happened forever. Um, my teammates, I live with three of my teammates who are African-American and just by living with them and hanging out with them um, off the court, I see this kind of discrimination every single day that they face. Yeah. And being someone kind of on the outside looking in, I, do, I realize that it's terrible and that it's wrong. Um, but after experiencing just a little bit of what they experience, I realize how strong and how graceful and how courageous they really are um, to handle discrimination like this every single day. Well, wow, that, that just speaks to your empathy, which is the thing that we need to kill racism in this world is, is empathy. And so thank you for providing that to others and for having such a dose of it yourself. Fearless Natalie Chow. Listeners, make sure you see her as soon as basketball is played again. It's something mm -hmm. I've had the privilege to be able to do and look forward to doing it again soon. Natalie, you stay safe, and thank you so much for all you're doing on and off the court. Oh, thank you so much for having me.